Go ahead and find Galatians 5 again. We are getting near the conclusion of this series, looking at each of the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm really grateful that you have hung in there with me. I'm grateful for um, the stories and the testimonies time to time I'll, through this series. I'll get text messages or, or you'll run into me and say, hey, here's something the Lord's taught me or here's something that, I, that, that the Lord showed me that I never saw before. And that's, that's exactly what we want. We want to understand these things on a deeper level. But he's not quite finished yet, I believe, with us. And so we're going to continue this morning. Uh, looking again at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let's look at it again together. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So this week we come to Faithfulness. And defining that word faithfulness, as Paul uses it here, is, is not very difficult. It actually um, is, is pretty cut and dry. Um, it actually is the word most of the time in the New Testament when we see this word show up in the Greek, it's usually translated faith, um, which means conviction, trust. This same word that Paul uses here is the same word that Jesus uses often in the Gospels when someone comes to him and they're seeking healing or they're seeking help from him. And he says, when they respond to him in faith, he says, your faith has saved you. It's that same Greek word that Jesus uses there in those instances that Paul is using here. But in a list like this, where obviously he's talking about characteristics that word faith in this context is referring to the characteristic of a person or the characteristic of God as being trustworthy, reliable, or loyal. So when we read this as a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, that's what we're talking about. Trustworthiness, reliability, and loyalty. That's what he is referring to. So... Lots of things probably come to mind when you hear those words and you think about how those are applied. But just like with all of these characteristics, I want us to start by looking at God. Because all of these virtues originate in the heart and the character of God. So let's think about how do we see the faithfulness of God told in the scriptures. Now, um, we could be here for days because there are hundreds of references just in the New Testament there are over uh, a couple hundred references to uh, the faithfulness of God, or this word is found. Um, but I want us to, I'm just going to share two or three with you, and I'm going to give you a list of three just practical ways that I think that we see the faithfulness of God told in the scriptures, in the story of the Bible. So, um, so I'm going to give you a list of three characteristics that we see of God in the scriptures, and then we're going to take those three and apply them to our lives and see how those three characteristics are played out in our day-to-day -day life, okay? So the first one, the first way we see the faithfulness of God is in his loyal love. We said that faithfulness has something to do with loyalty, and, and that is all throughout the story of God. I want to direct you to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verses 8 and 9. These are the words of Moses to the nation of Israel um, 
talking about the loyal faithfulness of God. Look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 8 and 9. Moses says to the people, But because the Lord loved you and kept his oath, kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know that the Lord your God is God, the what? Faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. God's love is a loyal love. We see, if you read the Old Testament, it blows my mind when people say, I don't, I don't ever read the Old Testament very much because the Old Testament's boring. That's, you've never read the Old Testament. If you think the Old Testament is boring, it's so not. But what you see with the story of God and Israel is God patiently and faithfully loving Israel through all of these times with a loyalty that they don't seem to have for him. Where they are constantly turning to other gods, turning to idols, but, but God is faithful and he is loyal to them. And he loves them unconditionally when most of the time they're unfaithful to him and his dealings with them are determined by his promise not their performance and this is what makes the loyal love of God different from the love that we tend to have even for each other right my loyalty and my love to you may only last as long as you are loyal to me right when you write me off or you hurt me or you do something to, uh, to, to hinder our relationship, then my loyalty to you is going to diminish and it's going to fall. But God is not that way. God's love is perfectly loyal because unlike us, we can sometimes make our love conditional because I will give love based on performance. God doesn't do that. He loves based on the promise that he made to love. That is the basis for, for what determines his love, his own promise to do that. He established a covenant with Israel and he's faithful to keep that covenant because of his character of his faithfulness, not theirs. And aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that God is in covenant with his people to love us based on his faithfulness, not on ours and not on mine? If God's commitment to love me was based on my faithfulness, he would have given up on me a long, long, long time ago. Don't you, don't you realize and fall into that feeling sometimes? Have you ever had those moments in your life when you think, if God was gonna write me off, now would be the time and I wouldn't even be mad at him for it because we understand how unfaithful we can be. But his love for us is not based on our performance. It's based on his promise. He's made a promise and he's gonna keep it. And that goes into the second way that we see God's faithfulness in the scriptures. We see his faithfulness in his fulfilled promises. That's number two. He loves loyally, and part of the way that he shows loyal love is that he keeps his promises. Um, 
that covenant that he made with Israel was a covenant was, that was established on him choosing them as his people, him establishing, giving them the law, and their obedience to the law was how, and obedience to him was how they showed their loyalty to him. And as we see throughout the Old Testament, they, they wavered in that continually, back and forth, being faithful to God and being unfaithful to God, going back and forth, yet God maintained the covenant the whole time. But that covenant goes beyond the Old Testament and it goes into the New Testament and we see Jesus being the fulfillment of that covenant that started in the law. But then when Jesus came, he established a new covenant, a better covenant. We shared the Lord's Supper last week when we gathered in worship, right? And you remember that when we share and we observe and we drink the juice, we remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 20, verse 22. He said, this cup, is the new what? Covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus says this cup represents the new promise. The new promise of God. And say, what is that promise of God? That now apart from the law, those who believe, who trust in him in faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus as the perfect and complete sacrifice for all of our sins, those who trust and believe in him will be accepted into the kingdom, not based on their, their works or their obedience, but based on the obedience of Jesus and his work, that God will forgive our sins and restore our fellowship with him to everyone who would turn their heart toward him and believe. The free gift of grace. It was a new promise, a new covenant that you can have a relationship with God through grace and not through the law. And he's fulfilled that promise. He fulfilled that promise in the gospel. And that new covenant promise will continue. And there's a future fulfillment that we wait for, right? As believers, we wait for the full fulfillment of that promise in eternity. But here's what I want you to realize about the promises that we have to look forward to. And here's a point that you can write down and remember. Everything God has promised is already true because of his perfect faithfulness. We know that there are promises that God has made for what is to come in the future, right? When I make promises to my wife or to my kids or even to you, when I tell you I'm gonna do something or something's gonna happen, you need to just wait and see. <laughs> and my wife will be a testimony to that. She'll say many times, she's had to wait and see. Because I'll say, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this. I promise, baby, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and take care of that. Well, she has learned that hopefully most of the time I'm going to come through with that. But other times she just has to wait and see. Because that's not a certain promise. Because I may not follow through. I may not keep my promise. But the thing that's different about God, God has such a perfect faithfulness in his character that the things that he's promised that we haven't seen happen yet, you know what's true? They've already happened. They're already fulfilled. They're already complete. Think about the fact that God doesn't operate. And I, I just continue to, to be blown away by the, by the thinking and where my mind goes that God doesn't operate in, in the realm of time and space like we do. 
So even the promises that he's made that me who's living in time is still, I'm still waiting for those to happen. The reality is God transcends all of that. And because he's perfectly faithful, those promises that I'm waiting for, they're already done. They're already fulfilled in him because he is perfectly faithful. And so my waiting, I don't have to wait and see with God. You don't have to wait and see with God. If he has said in his word, this is gonna happen, this is what I'm gonna do, then you can literally count on it with no question because he's never proven himself unfaithful to a promise. He always keeps it. And thinking about Jesus as being that fulfillment of that covenant, look at Revelation 19. This is, this is part of the hope, what we wait for, that fulfilled promise of what we look forward to. Look at these verses in chapter 19, starting in verse 11. John says, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse and its rider is called what? What's his name? Faithful and true. This is Jesus. And with justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame. And many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. What did John in his gospel say in the first chapter? That Jesus, about Jesus, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He, he writes that same, he gives Jesus that same name in verse 13. Verse 14, the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Folks, the Jesus that we're waiting on is this Jesus. This is the Jesus that we're waiting for. This is the Jesus that's been promised. This isn't the wait and see Jesus. This is who's coming back. And he will come back exactly the way the word says he will because the word is true and the word is faithful. And he is the word. And the name that he's given by John in verse 11, Jesus is faithful and true. <laughs> his faithfulness comes from his identity. John didn't call him faithful and true just because he's, he's always been faithful and true. That's just who he is. That is his character, the nature of God revealed in Jesus so his faithfulness comes from his identity as the truth. Because Jesus is the truth. What did he say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So because he is the truth, his faithfulness is a characteristic that comes from his identity as the truth. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul makes an a, a, a important theological statement in that chapter. And he says that Jesus remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. You say, how do I know that God will always keep his promises? 
Because his, his character, his name is truth. And if he were to make a promise that he didn't fulfill even one time in the history of eternity, if there was one promise that God ever broke or didn't come through on, he would cease to be the truth. So if he is God and he is true, that means he has to be faithful. And he always will be. There's a pastor in the 1700s, an English pastor named William Grimshaw. And I found this quote and I loved it but, because this is how true the faithfulness of God is a part of his character. He says, before the Lord will suffer his promise to fail, he will lay aside his divinity and un-God himself. You say, how can I be certain that God will keep his promise? Because for God not to keep his promise, he would have to un-God himself. He would have to take away, he would have to separate himself from his divinity. And we know that that doesn't happen, that can't happen. So as sure as God is God, that's how sure the fulfillment of every promise that he's ever made will be. So he fulfills his promises. And number three, we see his faithfulness in his finished works. So he loves loyally. He fulfills and keeps every promise that he makes. And he finishes everything he starts. Like that picture in Revelation 19 and 20 and 21 is that picture of the fulfilled promise, the restoration of all things that Jesus talked about. He made that promise in the Gospels. And, and Revelation is that picture. And so we know that, that there's the work of redemption, the work of the, the renewing of all things, the new heaven and earth that's coming. And that, that there's, we can be sure that that's going to happen because he finishes what he starts. But I want you to know and should encourage us all this morning that just as he will finish the work that he started in creation and redemption in heaven and earth, he will also finish the work that he started in you. If he will complete that work, there's not a work that he won't complete, again, because he is truth. And so if he started something in you, if he started that work of sanctification from the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, and there are days, just like with me, that you may think, wow, he's got a long way to go. There is a lot of work left to do in me. And there is. But because he's faithful and true, it will come to completion. Philippians 1.6, we know it. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus has no loose ends. Jesus has no um, to-do list of things that's over here on the side that he might get to and he might not, like we do. He leaves no ends untied. 1 Thessalonians 5, I want to show you this passage too that Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, how? Completely. Not partially, Completely, 
And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is what? Faithful, he will do it. I am so glad that the certainty of the completion of this process that I'm in of becoming more and more like Jesus, that the completion of that process is not all determined on me. Because it says, God himself will sanctify us completely and that he is called faithful and he will do it. He will get me there. Even when I run off track, even when I go in the wrong direction, I used to be so scared. As a young man, I was so, especially early in ministry, I was so afraid that if I made one wrong move, if I made one bad choice, that my life was just going to go skew off in this direction and God's will for my life was right here and that I would never, ever get back to it. And I've come to realize that that even in those, those turns and those exit ramps that, that I take, even in, even in disobedience, that God has said, there, there is an end point at the end that's perfect in my will, and I will make sure you get there. Because that sanctification is my work in you. So he finishes what he starts. So in all these virtues that we've studied so far, it's important to understand, again, I say it over and over, that these are unified characteristics. Faithfulness is not one virtue in a buffet that we get to choose from and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good at that one. I'm not good at this one. These are all characteristics that should be unified together. There should be evidence of all of these things coming out of our life because we have one the one Holy Spirit that lives in us. And this is one fruit. So when we think about how does faithfulness translate into our lives, how does it, if, if the fruit of the Spirit is, is in us to produce faithfulness as one of its virtues, how, what does that look like? How do we know if faithfulness is, is being produced in us? I think faithfulness is the core virtue of, of practical things that we think about like integrity and honesty and trustworthiness and loyalty. Like those are all characteristics that are important to us. Those are things that are important to you and the people in your life, those are things that you desire from other people and those are things that other people desire from you. And I think if we, if we have a challenge with faithfulness, It's not so much that we don't have enough faithfulness or that we're incapable of being faithful. I think it's, it's not the lack of faithfulness that we struggle with. It's who or what we give our faithfulness to. Um, it's not that we're not capable of being faithful because we are. When I think about my life and you think about your money, like how you, how you spend your money, 
You may casually in conversation get, get an opportunity to spend money or buy something or go out to eat with friends or something and you may say, oh, I can't do that now, I'm broke. You ever said that? Uh, we, we just broke. We can't, we can't do that. Like to say you're broke is sort of a, is a little bit of a false thing. It's not that you don't have any money. Like broke, broke would mean you, you ain't got nothing. And that's not the case. Most of the time when we say that we're broke, what we really mean is I had money. I had an adequate amount of money to meet my needs, but because I had to spend it either on what I needed or I spent my money on something maybe that I didn't really need. Now here's something that I, I really should and would be a good investment of my money, but I can't invest it in that because I've already spent it in something else. And maybe I've already spent it in something that's less important. Like, oh, I, I spent my money on this when I wish I hadn't because now I wish I had it for this. I feel like our faithfulness is kind of like that. It's not that we don't have it and we're not capable of it because everybody's faithful to something, aren't you? I mean, think about your life. It's not that you're incapable of being faithful to something. It's how do you choose what and who you give your faithfulness to? Maybe that's the problem. We will be faithful to the things that we value the most. And that's just true. And you say, well, how do I discern what the things are that I really value the most? There's what I say I value the most. And then there's what I really value the most. And you know how you discern between the difference, the difference between those things? Look at what you're most committed to. The things that you're most committed to will be the things that you value the most. And the things that you value the most, you will be the most committed to. So if there's something that I'm not so committed to, that means I don't value it that much. Make sense? So I want us to look at three aspects. Take those three, sort of that outline of ideas. Is how do we see the faithfulness of God in the scriptures? And take those ideas, those principles, and apply them to our lives. If this is what the faithfulness of God looks like in the scriptures then how do those same things translate into our lives the way we are faithful? How can we be found faithful? So here's the first of these three. We're found faithful when we love with loyalty. We talked about how God loves us unconditionally and with a loyalty that's based on a covenant. God continues to love us because he's made a promise to love us, right? Right? What are the covenant relationships that you have in your life? The ones that are built on a, a covenantal promise. And as believers, there are some pretty clear-cut ones. The first one, we think about marriage. Faithfulness in our marriage is built on a, a covenant promise. When you stood with your spouse in front of your friends and family... You gave vows. You made vows to one another. Those were covenant promises. It, it, it 
frustrates me every time if I ever officiate or I counsel a couple or I go to a wedding and people want to write their own vows. That is great. And that can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. But so many times I've heard couples write their own vows and exchange them in front of people and they don't make one single promise to one another. All their vows are are talking about how much I love you, how special you are. I'm so glad you're in my life. And, and I, uh, oh, it's, uh, this is, I love you so much. Well, that's great, but that's not a vow. You've not made any vows unless you've made promises. Covenantal promises. And so we make vows, and what do those vows say in our marriage? For better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. Folks, the world doesn't take that seriously. Those promises don't mean anything. But for believers, because we understand the covenant promises of God that he loves with loyalty that says, I will continue to love you, not because you deserve it even, but because I have made a promise to love you and I'm going to be loyal to that promise. That's how that works out in our marriages. So that when we get to the worst and the poorer parts of the vows, that we say, hey, I'm in this. Not because it's easy or not, not because even I feel like you deserve it. But because I promised this is what I was going to do. I think there's a covenantal relationship that we have with our kids, with our children. Many of us, even within the church, there was a moment when your kids were born that you stood on a platform in a church and you participated in a, a child dedication service, a baby dedication service, and you held your child up before a body of believers, a church family, and you said, I'm making a commitment as a parent to raise this child in the knowledge of God and his word and, and lead him or her into a relationship with Jesus. You realize that was a covenant. That was a promise that you made before God and before his church. Those are, that's a covenant relationship that we have. There's covenant relationships that we loyally love the church. I don't know. I think that we've done a bad job overall in, in teaching people that church membership is a covenant relationship that you enter into. Because I just see it all the time, and you do too. People will jump from church to church like they drive through fast food restaurants. Uh, the burger's good here, but the fries are better over there, and the milkshakes at that place are the best. So I'm just going to drive through whichever ones I want to get the stuff that I like the best. And there's no covenant commitment to a, to a local body of believers. But church membership, there is a covenant aspect to it, that you are, you're making a commitment before God and before a, a family of believers that say, hey, I will love you, I will be loyal in the way that I love you, in the way I serve and worship here, even when we get to the for worse or the for poorer part. People will just up and leave because they're just not happy. So there's covenant relationships even in, in the church and even in friendships. There are certain friendships that you have that are covenant friendships. Probably not all of your friendships are. 
But you have certain people that you've, you've verbally made commitments to and you've said, this is the kind of friendship I want to have with you. We talked about in our, our man church group a couple of weeks ago about um, the need for men to have other men that they're in covenant relationship with, that they can be accountable to, that I can be in covenant with you and promise, make a commitment to be your friend and have a relationship with you and give you permission to call me out when I sin, to point out things that I can share with you. And there, there's this covenant relationship. We need those kind of friendships, especially within the church. And love is a part of all of those. Are we loyal to these relationships as God is loyal in his commitment and love to us? Do we love our, our spouses with this kind of loyalty? Do we love our kids? Do we love our church? Do we love our, our, our friends with this kind of loyalty? Not because we receive love, but because we've committed to the promise. There's a lyric in an Andrew Peterson song. He wrote a song called Dancing in the Minefields that he wrote for his wife. And there's a line in that song that says, This is harder than we dreamed, but I believe that's what the promise is for. It's basically a line to say, Hey, marriage is, this has gotten hard. But because it gets hard, that's why we need the promise. And the promise is to be loyal. The world's happy with kicking all those relationships out to the side if it's just not working out for you. And that's not the faithfulness of God. So we also are found faithful when we, like God, keep our promises. How trustworthy are we when we say something do we follow through with it? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Now see, Jesus, when he says this, it's in context of something that he's addressing. See, the Jews, they understood that we shouldn't make an oath or a promise and an, uh, like swear by God because God is holy. So if you make a promise by God, you better keep it. But what do I want to do? What do I do if I want to make a promise that I'm pretty sure I'm not going to keep? I might swear an oath, not on God, but on something else. I can swear an oath on on some other thing. I can swear an oath on my own head. I can swear an oath on anything except God and I'm not really tied into having to keep it. It's a, it's a similar practice that what we used to do maybe when we were kids. I hope we still don't do this. When you make a promise to somebody with your fingers crossed behind your back and you justify in your mind, I said that, but I don't have to keep it because, oh, fingers crossed. Like, this is what the Jews were doing. They were just swearing on anything. And Jesus says there's a problem, a big problem with that. Don't ever do that for, for two reasons. He says, first of all, you can't just swear on anything and everything other than the name of God because guess what? Everything belongs to him. Everything is his. You don't have any power over anything that you think you can swear by this or swear by that. All of it's his. So it's all an affront to him, to swear on anything. 
And then he says, he's saying, tell the truth because you love truth. Be the type of person that loves truth so much that that's the reason you don't lie. Not because you don't want to get caught. Not because you're afraid, well, if I lie, these bad circumstances are going to happen. Be of the mind and heart that says, I'm not going to lie because I love the truth. Because I know Jesus said that he was the truth. And because I love him, I want to uphold truth as well as I can. And that means I'm going I'm to make a promise. And if I make a promise, I'm going to stick to it. Do we take our promises seriously? Or do we dismiss the importance of honoring truth by just walking away from our promises? See, here's the difference. The world's okay with broken promises, right? The world doesn't have a problem with that. Because we see it all the time in everything from marriage to, to like relationships, it doesn't matter. You can break your promises. If you need to break them, promises are made to be broken, right? That's what the world thinks. You know why? Because the world has no concept of truth. We as believers, as, because we know God and we know Jesus, Jesus is truth. There is an absolute truth that exists in the universe and we know who it is. The rest of the world doesn't and the rest of the world has this objective truth that it doesn't even matter. Everybody can have their own truth, right? We will take promises seriously when we know who and what truth is or we should. The world doesn't take promises seriously because they have no concept of truth. The name of Jesus was faithful and true. Our faithfulness is, is directly connected to what truth is and who truth is. And so this is, this is integrity as well. This is the application of integrity, upholding what is right regardless of circumstances. It's easy to do the right thing when somebody's watching. It's easy to do the right thing when you know if you don't, you're going to get caught. There's not really anything holy and divine about that. Everybody does that. Nobody wants to get caught. But real integrity, real faithfulness in integrity is doing the right thing just because it's the right thing. Doing the right thing because you love truth. Doing the right thing even though you're in a circumstance that you know I could do this and get away with it and nobody would ever know. And that's tempting. But when we know who truth is and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the right choice. I'm gonna fulfill this promise. I'm gonna uphold truth Because I love truth. And that's all the reason we need. So we keep our promises. And then number three, we're found faithful when we commit to the work we are called to do. When we commit to the work we're called to do, God says anything he starts, he finishes. Any work that he, he puts his hand to in our life, any work that he begins in creation in heaven and earth, he finishes. 
There's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the talents. And we won't read the whole parable to you, but let me just give you the rundown. Jesus tells this story. He says there's a master who has three servants. And he's about to leave, leave and go on a journey far away into a far country in business. He calls his three servants together. And he gives each of them a sum of money. In that day, they were called talent, this particular unit of money. I don't know, can't tell you exactly how much money that is, but they were in numerical units, and he gave five to one servant, two to one servant, and one to one servant. So to help you figure it out, to get it right in your mind, you know, when I was a kid, I used to read talents, like, oh, he gave him five talents, so, so he could sing, he could, he could talk well, he could do math, he could do, you know, no, that's not what he's talking about. It's money. So change it to like, $5,000, $2,000, $1,000, or, or $5 million, $2 million, $1 million, whatever, whatever helps you in your mind. Three servants, each got a different amount. The master goes away. He comes back, calls them back to give an account of what they did with what they were given. The one that was given five came back, said, Master, here's the five that you gave me. Look, I'm bringing you five more because I put it to work. I took it, used it, did something with it, and gave you a return for what you've given me. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. The second one, he only got two. He didn't get as much as the first one, but he did the exact same thing with it. Took it, brought it back. Master, I've got two. Here's two more. Did the same thing. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. It didn't matter that he only brought two back and this one brought back five. He did the same thing. He doubled what he was given. But then the third one thought the best way to, to manage what he was given was to, was to take it and bury it. And he went and dug a hole and he buried it in the ground and he hid it because he was afraid because he didn't want to lose it. He didn't want to take a risk with it. He didn't. So it was easy to bury it. And so he digs it up and he brings it back to the master. He says, Master, look, here's, I, I, I was afraid of you. And here, here's the one that you gave me. I, I just brought it back to you. Here it is. And the master says, you are lazy. He said, you did Nothing with it at least if you didn't want to lose it you could have taken it to the bank and put it all in the bank and would have gotten a little bit of interest for it and maybe there would have been you could have produced something with minimal effort you could have produced something with it but you didn't even do that and he curses the servant he says because you're lazy you had no no commitment to do anything with what you were given Here's some things that the first two servants did that they had in common. They did their work promptly. As soon as they were given a task, they went to work with it. They, they worked with perseverance. They did their work for the purpose of success. They had a goal in mind. And they were ready to give an account when the master came back. They had something to show for their effort. The first one, the, the last one that was given one did none of those things. So how do we manage what God has given us? 
the work and the calling that he puts in our lives. What do we do with it? We show our faithfulness with what we do, with what we're given. It doesn't matter how much, if it's five or if it's two or if it's one. What will we do with it? What will we do with, with not just the spiritual things that God entrusts to us? What kind of worker are we at our jobs? Do we approach our jobs as faithful workers like these servants did their master? Do we go to work? Do we, do we work promptly? Do we work with perseverance? Do we work toward a goal for success? And are we ready to give it? Do we work in such a way that we can give an account Anytime somebody calls on us and says, hey, what have you been doing? Like that's one of the ways we show our faithfulness to the world, practically. There's some Christians that nobody's gonna believe the gospel coming out of their mouth because they're lazy workers. Nobody at their jobs is ever gonna listen to their testimony because they don't even do what they're supposed to at work. Because, and this is a principle. Jesus, um, go over to Luke 16. Jesus talks about this again. He talks about faithfulness. Look at Luke 16, 10 through 12. He says, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? Jesus means what is genuine means things that are more important than worldly wealth, spiritual things. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? See, this is, this is what we mean by, and we can look at that parable of the talents, it doesn't matter how much we are entrusted with isn't going to determine our faithfulness. If you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. And if you're not faithful with a little, you won't be faithful with a lot. I hear people so many times say, well, I'll be faithful when I get more. Right? I'll be felt like, yeah, it ain't a big deal with this. I'll, I'll be faithful if... If I get more responsibility or if I get more money or if I get a promotion, a bigger job title, then I'll kick up, then I'll kick up my faithfulness. But this is all I'm doing. This is it. It's not a big deal. We even think that way in the church, don't we? If I don't have a title, if I'm not on a committee, if I'm not leading a, a small group, if I'm not on the platform on Sunday morning, it ain't a big deal that I'm here. So it doesn't matter if I'm faithful to be here or not. If I did that, I'd be more faithful. If I had this job, I'd be more faithful. If I had this title, I'd be more faithful. Jesus says here, no, probably not. Because if you're not faithful with the little bit that you're given, he says you're not going to be faithful if I give you a lot. Faithfulness is seen through our hands and through our words, through the words that we speak and through the things that we do. That's, that's how the presence of faithfulness comes out of us and it's seen. But I also want you to know this. Don't walk out of here thinking that what Eric is telling you to do is produce more faithfulness in your life. 
Because you can't do that. You can't just go out and determine, I'm just going to be more faithful. No, the Holy Spirit is what produces faithfulness. He is the, the fruit of faithfulness. That, that fruit that comes out comes from him. So if you need to be more faithful, if you see a need for more faithfulness, the first thing you need to do is look inside your heart. Look at your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Look at, at the presence or the absence of the Holy Spirit in you. Some of us may realize I have a struggle with faithfulness because I literally can't be faithful like this because this faithfulness comes from the fruit of the Spirit and I don't have the Spirit because I've never given my life to Christ. The Spirit's not indwelling my life because I'm not a believer. Or maybe for some of us as as believers, we do know that the Spirit is in us. We've seen evidence of it in the other fruit, but maybe, maybe faithfulness, it's not that God hasn't given us the capability to be faithful. Maybe we're misspending our faithfulness. Maybe I'm giving it too much to things that in the end, when Revelation 19 happens, I'm giving all of my faithfulness to these things that are gonna burn up with the rest of creation. And they're going to be destroyed. And there'll be nothing left to show for them. But I spent all my commitment on those things, Jesus. And then we have nothing to show for the things that really matter. Our faithfulness to God. Our faithfulness to our spouses, our families. Our faithfulness to the church. All of those things. Those, those fruits of faithfulness will produce eternal benefits. There'll be something left in the end. We should, we should want our goal to be that of the two servants in the parable, that when we come and we take everything that God has entrusted to us, earthly and spiritual things, that we can come before him And in the end, when we're called to give an account of what we've done, which the Bible says we will do, that we can stand before him and be able to say, because of your presence in my life, this is what you were able to do through me. And he'll look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant.